Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. Today, we have a very special guest. They're always special guests, but this one in particular is special. Jamie Bailey, Chief Financial Officer at Baylor College of Medicine. Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you taking a little time for us. Absolutely. Jamie, you got really interesting background. I want to dive in, but I'm going to go back to the start because I find this to be really fascinating how people got into their careers and what drove them and what they were passionate about as they pursued it. So let's start here. Why did you get into finance? And did you have a moment when you realized that this is where you wanted to make finance your career? Yeah, at a very early age, I've always been a person that's enjoyed numbers. I like just having an answer. So at the end of the day, I know two plus two equals four. There's really no interpretation as to what what the answer is there. In terms of science and English and some of the liberal arts types of professions and studies, right, sometimes it's a little bit subjective. So I like to have just an objective answer, very much a black and white type of thing. So ever since I was a kid, I enjoyed math and numbers. So I always knew I wanted to do something related to business and finance, something like that. So I had one major in college, finance and accounting, stuck with it, went to Indiana University and started off from there. It's pretty, it's been pretty straight and narrow, <laughs> if you will, but, uh, but yeah, I've always liked numbers. That's how I've gotten to start. Yeah, I love that. So I'm going to discredit myself as a software CEO here, but I was actually the opposite. I okay. really did well in English and liberal arts and those different Subjects. My mom used to tell me the exact opposite of what you just said. She said that because on the test questions, there's no defined answer that you can justify an answer. That's why you gravitate towards that. So I've gotten better at math and numbers as I've grown in my career, but it was more of a learned of than it was the one that I grew in naturally. What was your first role in finance? Like your first primarily dedicated role in finance? Yeah, my first role was actually when I was in Indiana University, I actually got an internship with Deloitte, which is a public accounting out of Chicago. And I interned there after my junior year in their financial advisory practice. And I was doing kind of work, really doing forensic accounting investigations and business valuation work. So I started that as an internship, and then they offered me a job at the end of that summer. In my senior year, going back to Indiana, I knew I had a job lined up and started in Chicago right after I graduated. I love that. One of the financial centers of our country. Interested to know, a lot of people go into big four consulting out of school, but not many people last just because of the travel and the hours. Was that your experience too when you first? That's exactly what it was, man. So you got a lot of people that was up and out, right? Public accounting. First two years, it's like you you go from associate to senior associate or you pretty much leave. After that, it's another three years and make manager and then you decide to leave. So every tier, you see a bunch of people either move up or they move out. So I uh, I stayed in public accounting for about five or six years, stayed at Deloitte in Chicago. And while I was there, I transferred to Houston and then went to a smaller consulting firm. But he, essentially, I got tired of the travel. I was, by the time I left the consulting world, I was traveling probably 75 to 80% 
of the time. So oh. first few years is fun. It's exciting. You're getting out of school. You're, you're ready to see the world and travel and it all sounds good. But then after a while, you just get tired of it. So I got to ask though, because you're traveling like that, you start to develop your routine. So what was one of your favorite travel routines? What was like, was it getting on a plane or reading a book? Was it getting in the hotel and yeah. getting that mint off the pillow? What, do they still do mints <laughs> on pillows? I don't think they do that anymore. But yeah, what was your favorite part of that routine? I don't know if I have a favorite part. It's really just, really just being able to experience like new restaurants and things like that. So we were always, as a young uh, young guy coming out of school, a lot of times we were traveling with other people that were coming right out of school. And so we were always trying to figure out what's the best restaurants to go to or a nice bar to go to. So that was really the favorite part. The traveling just got old because we were traveling, we would go Sunday night to Friday night. So literally, you know, you get home Friday night, you got to find a way to get dry cleaning done, wash clothes, run all your errands on Saturday, and then you're right back on the plane on Sunday. Oh, that part was rough, but everything else, seeing different cities and different parts of the world, trying new restaurants, and it was obviously all on the company. So that's always, you know, that helps too. But that part was the best for sure. Yeah, we'll get along famously. Every time I go and I travel with any of our hub cities or visit a client, that's my favorite thing to do too, is go experience yeah. new restaurants and see some new bars and experience the city by. But I can imagine... If you're doing it back to back like that gets a little bit tedious. Yeah, it gets old after a while. Yep. It's interesting because accounting is our company's kind of generalist in terms of all the different things we've recruited for over the last 12 years. And what I find one of the most difficult ones is because we work with a lot of corporate Fortune 500 companies and they're constantly looking for forensic accounting and accounting. And they're always looking for somebody coming out of big four. Yep. And the cycles and knowing the seasons of when you can call people to get them to actually pick up the phone and be interested yep. is one aspect of it. But the other aspect is you really have to find people who are run to the end of their thread in yeah. terms of that travel. And you know what? I'm fine taking more of a steady job. So that can be a little bit difficult, but that's something that's constantly going and constantly hiring for. And a lot of times what companies will pick an outsource partner for because of the difficulty to find people with that experience. So that's awesome. You are the CFO for Baylor University School of Medicine. I'm interested, how is it different being the financial leader at an academic institution yep. than maybe one in the private sector? There's a lot of differences in my mind. So first of all, coming out of consulting, right? One of the things that I was actually afraid of coming to a not-for-profit, right? You think of a not-for-profit, you're thinking, oh, okay, it's the easy breezy. They're not trying to make a profit here. Things are probably a little bit slower. I was actually worried about being bored coming out of consulting, right? Because I'm juggling a bunch of clients, I'm traveling, I got a, a bunch of things going on at the same time. And so coming to Baylor, I was worried about that. But Baylor is very different. And I would say even being at Baylor, an academic medical center is much different in Houston than it is in many other locations. Okay, so the competition here is astronomical. Wow. We're in the biggest medical center in the world. Literally, you are competing against institutions and organizations right across the street. So when you're talking about competing for employees, competing for patients and customers, if you will, right? People can literally go across the street, get the same service or do the same job, and they can park in the same spot. Oh, wow. So that creates a very dynamic situation at Baylor College of Medicine that's very similar to the private sector and private industry. But I think the mission is what separates us. So we're not in the mission of trying to make money. Our mission is to improve the healthcare community, right? So we are trying to serve patients. We're trying to perform research. We're trying to do things like cure cancer. So for me, it was a blessing coming to Baylor because I got the fast paced environment that I had in consulting. I feel like I'm always juggling different things, different projects in the air at the same time. 
Uh, but there's also a bigger purpose in terms of what our organization is trying to do. It's not just money driven. So for me, it's been, that's been a very grounding experience for me because you, you get lost in the shuffle a little bit, but then you hear about some of the things that our doctors and physicians are doing in terms of trying to help people and trying to cure different diseases and figure out different solutions to, to healthcare related problems. It definitely grounds you a little bit. So that's the biggest difference, I think, in my mind. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess I've always kind of intuitively known that Houston was one of the biggest medical centers in the country because there's so many yeah. surgeons and specialists and yeah. healthcare operations out there. But I never really thought about it from a competitive standpoint in terms of yeah. resources, patients, and talent. We're going to get into that in a little bit because we got some hiring questions coming up, but we'll come yeah. back to that. One of the things that you mentioned when we were talking, giving back to your community and especially Black American youth in particular, something that you're really passionate about. You mentioned that you're on the board for a nonprofit by the name of Discover You. I want to know a little bit about that organization and why you got involved and why it's so important to you. Yeah, no, thanks for asking about that. Yeah, Discover You is an organization that really strives to help underserved and underprivileged youth gain experiences that they wouldn't normally have access to. So for example, if you got a young African-American kid or Latina kid who wants to go to college is thinking about it, but they don't have anybody in their family they can talk to about it, they don't know anybody that's actually going to college, Discover You would be a program that would allow them to do an internship or do a summer program to learn about different schools, different occupations and different trades, something that they wouldn't normally see or their environment wouldn't allow them to really experience. So that's what Discover You aims to do is really trying to help those students really see that there's something beyond their immediate surroundings. So I got involved actually through Rice. Uh, I was actually doing my MBA at Rice and one of my classmates at Rice, she had just joined the board right before we had started our MBA program. And she said, hey, check this out. They're looking for new board members. We want a diverse board. We want a board that represents the people and the kids that we're trying to help. And so I got involved and it's been a tremendous experience just to see the organization evolve, but also help and uh, serve the community. Yeah, I really love that, man. I love that you're, it's so important to you give back. And listen, when we were talking earlier, you were really candid around how a lot of times in terms of representation of African-Americans in the finance space, there's not always a ton of it, right? And sometimes you're breaking down walls and breaking down barriers. Was there anybody that you looked up to in the finance sector? Or is there any advice that you would give for maybe African-Americans, youth who are growing and want to get into finance? Any advice that you'd give? Yeah, I would say just the advice that I would give is really everything matters. Right. And I, sometimes people don't like to necessarily hear this. The time that you come in the door, what you're wearing that day, what you say, right, what TV shows you, you watch, what, you know, jokes you kind of laugh at and listen to. Right. All those things matter uh, more so than I would say people that don't necessarily look like me. Right now, I was fortunate that I went to a school where I was kind of used to that setting being one of the few minorities. So Indiana University is a pretty large university. The Black population is probably one or 2% of that. So wow. every time I went to class, every time we were in a school meeting, there were very few of us that looked like me. And so learning those experiences, trial and error helped me along the way, but I would just say everything matters. And so it creates a, a mental toughness that you have to have, but I would just say focus on the details. And I think proving yourself over and over is just a good mentality to have. And so that's the approach that I took. Now, in terms of mentors, I had a ton of different mentors and also peers that pushed me. So one of the pieces of advice that I would say is that a lot of it revolves around the friends and the company that you keep. And so I appreciate a lot of my friends were doing the same things that I was doing. And so we've motivated each other. We've been able to 
share stories with each other around what things that have happened and how we can do better and things like that. So they've also pushed me as well, but I've had great mentors and uh, people that I've looked up to that have helped me out throughout my career. Yeah. I got to say like, I'm not breaking any news here, but representation matters, right? When I was a young kid, for whatever reason, I was drawn to the Disney movie Aladdin. And I didn't realize until I got older because that looked like me. I felt something there. It's important to, to be able to see people who look like you, maybe have grown up like you, yeah. achieve success. Like I, I remember reading a book called The Talent Code, and it talks about how Anna Kornikova, right, as a Russian tennis player, people saw her become successful. And then that led to more Russian tennis players, right? Same things with South Korean golfers, female golfers, and Michelle Wee. It's important to be able to understand and see people break those barriers because when that happens, a lot of times it's a floodgate. So I know not a lot of people get that. Not a lot of people understand that. You have to live it to, to maybe feel it. And so I think it's really important that you call that out. And I think it's really good advice you're giving because I think it's really important to have diversity in all different spectrums of life, whether it be entertainment or whether it be athletics or whether it be in, in professional world, government, whatever it may be. Kudos to you, man. And I'm really impressed with your answer and what you do with Discover You, man. So that's awesome. No, um, I want to dive into the hiring because I know you've done a lot of it throughout your career. I got to imagine you have some good stories for us. So let's start here, though. Yeah. When you're hiring somebody for your team, right, in terms of talent, do you have an overall hiring philosophy or something specific that you're looking for out of everybody that you bring on? Yeah, I'm looking for, I would just say, eagerness and interest above mm -hmm. all. I've hired a lot of people, some who were, they are, everything on paper is just top-notch. They went to a top-notch school, they had a top GPA, they had community service, everything, right? And you bring them on board and they just can't, they just can't pick things up. They're just not successful. They're not a great team player. So I believe that hiring people that have that eagerness, that drive, and that interest, not so much in just themselves, but also in the role, in the organization, right? I feel like that makes a bigger difference than everything that's necessarily on the paper. So I've hired people that have had English degrees into a finance role. Oh, wow. As crazy as that sounds, but they've done well, right? So they have a learning mentality. They have an eagerness to learn. They want to understand how to do some of these things. They want to understand some of these financial principles which takes more time right on the front end to really get them up to speed. But in terms of their success is based upon their interests and wanting to learn and wanting to do well, wanting to be successful, as opposed to just relying upon what they learned maybe in school. I'm so with you on that. Like one of the things that we look at for our company here is intellectual curiosity, like yeah. you brought up. And I think as you should be hiring, if you're hiring people for careers, not jobs, if you're looking long-term, right? You're less worried about tactically what they can get done in the next 30 days. Right. And that intellectual curiosity is such a predicator of somebody that's going to have a growth mindset. Like they always say, you can train aptitude, but you can't train attitude, right? At the end right. of the day. So totally with you on that. I think a curiosity and a desire to learn and ask questions, such a good indicator of, of great hires. Totally with you on that. Absolutely. So when I ask you about memorable interviews, right? Good, bad, maybe one you were interviewing for, or you interviewed somebody. Yeah. Any come to mind? A couple have come to mind. I, one, I, so I've actually had, I've had, I'll knock on wood, some pretty good success in terms of when I've been the interview, right, and going for a job. In, in most cases, I think I've done pretty well. Uh, the one time was actually when I was trying to get out of consulting and I was looking around at different opportunities. There was one that came up in oil and gas and I thought, hey, I can knock it out. I didn't really do a lot of research. And they asked me a ton of questions, some technical, some not. And I just wasn't prepared. Just oh, flat wow. out. 
So obviously I didn't get the job offer, right? And I was disappointed about that, but it taught me that I shouldn't overestimate myself and abilities and that everything matters, right? So right. I should have prepared better. I should have had better questions, right? That I could have asked of them either beforehand or during the interview, but it taught me a, a pretty good lesson in terms of being prepared and how that can make a big difference, particularly when you're talking to people about a career, a job, an important position for them. So that was definitely memorable for me. Sure. Hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. And I learned that pretty early in my career too. When you get yeah. into the professional world, everybody's talented. A lot of talented people out there. The way you can differentiate yourself is your preparation. Let's ask about that. I know you probably haven't interviewed recently, but what's your game plan when you get an interview for a job that you're really interested in? How do you go about making sure you don't have that same scenario that you do with the oil and gas company? Yeah, I try to do a lot of homework, right? So obviously checking in on the company itself, Right, going through their website, looking at what they're about, what some of the activities are, what their service lines are, looking at their mission and vision, right? But also seeing if you can talk to people that work there or reaching out to your network to see if they they have that you have connections with. So that's what I did actually at Baylor College of Medicine. I was referred by a guy I used to work with in consulting. So I had an inside track really on the job and what it entailed and really tapping in there and talking with him quite a bit on what he believes the organization is about, what he believes the role is about, how can I be successful, et cetera. So I think that's a big part of it, just preparing for that, but also having some good questions in mind, right? So if you're really thinking about, if you want this to be your career, right, you're not asking questions about well, what's it going to take for me to be successful in the next 30 days. I want to know what is it going to take for me to be successful in the next three years? Or what does this career progression look like over the next five years? So I would say really looking at the long-term play and really understanding what the organization is, but also how this role fits into what the organization is trying to do. I love that. It's great advice for people who are getting ready to go for an interview. And there's been a lot of layoffs in technology recently. Yeah. So maybe someone will hear that and they'll get some good advice for to go knock that interview out of the park. What about when you're interviewing? Do you have a favorite question you like to ask? I don't necessarily have one favorite, but I do like to ask a lot of behavioral questions. So getting back to the eagerness and the interest, right? I want to know about experiences that people have had where they've been on a team where the team did not successfully do what they were supposed to do, right? Maybe the team failed uh, and whether or not that person played a role in that failure or if there was another team member that was just unmotivated. So I typically ask questions around what happened in that dynamic? What did you learn from that? How would you approach that differently if you were on a new team? Just to get a feel for how they deal with people. Because I feel like a lot of this is how you deal with people, right? And how sure. you deal with barriers and hurdles that you may come across. And what's your thought process to get around those things and provide good solutions? All right, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. So I'm going to flip your question back on you. Yep. When was a time that you were on a team that failed to reach its potential? Oh, that's a great question. I would say back in school, back in Indiana University, I can't remember the name of the project. It was like a core project where you basically, you know, you identified a company, you looked at sort of their marketing strategy, you came up with ideas as to how to turn the company around. So we had about a team of four to five people and we had one team member that just wouldn't participate. And I don't know if he didn't care about his grades or if he knew or figured that we would just do all the work and he would get the credit. But the team didn't do well because we were so worried about getting him up to speed and worrying about whether or not he was going to get a credit for a grade that he didn't really participate in, as opposed to really just focusing on, okay, either we can motivate him or we won't. 
but how do we still continue to move this project forward and not jeopardize the success of it? So it didn't work out very well, but that was an early lesson for me in that sometimes you just got to account for the weakest. So either you got to be very directive around, here's the instructions, here's the things that I really need you to do and focus in on. And if they can't do those things, right, you got to have a plan B and move forward. That's fantastic. Uh, so for me, that was huge. I love that. I think there's a big lesson in there, right? We talk a lot about, and we do a lot of hiring for companies and we want to help them with their high performing teams. But as much as putting the right person, rock star who fits in everything chemistry wise can take your team to the next level. Yeah. We all know that one bad apple disrupts the car. Right? And so yeah. it's a great point because that is exactly what happens. You have somebody who's either apathetic or they're being toxic. And then what happens? The team stops focusing on the goal and the mission. They start focusing on that person, right? And they're taken away from what they're ultimately there to do. And it's a tough situation, right? But worrying about who's getting the credit or who's doing their part, those are things that I like to think of are best for after you've completed whatever you need to complete, right? So that's the lesson. That's the lesson in itself is you worry about who's going to get the credit after, but get the A, right? You finish the project or get the project done and then you figure out corrective action or who's getting the credit for what, et cetera, et cetera. And if at the end of the day, if you're successful, right, and you put in the work, it'll work out for you. I love that. I love yep. that. Do you do anything special for people who are interviewing at Baylor to give them a sense of what they'll be walking into? Are you overly transparent? Do you have them come see the facility? Like, yeah. how do you create an experience that's like a realistic job preview for somebody that's going to come work yeah. at Baylor? Yeah, I try to be very transparent. So I'm probably a little bit too direct. I tell them the real deal. And I give them the same story that I just talked about a minute ago, where I came from consulting, right, where I had a bunch of different projects, a bunch of different clients, all juggling those things at the same time. Baylor is the same way. We have 37 different academic departments, right? So you're dealing with 37 different clients, client bases, right, where they have different problems and you're trying to develop solutions, right? And these people are geniuses. They're smart. So you got somebody who's a neurosurgeon or they're a biochemist or whatever it may be, right? These individuals who are leading these groups, they are geniuses in their own right. So they're very smart. They're very passionate about what they're trying to do. So how do you help serve that? How do you provide them with the right solutions? How do you provide them with timely information, right? Not just data, right? How do you bring forth things that will help them achieve their goals? And so that's not an easy thing to do. You got 37 different bosses in a certain sense. And so it's not easy. So you got to be a person that likes the thrill of dealing with a bunch of people, the thrill of dealing with a lot of things at the same time. So if you want to do something, if you want to do the same thing every single month, which most people would think accounting and finance, you're just, you're doing the same things every single month. This place is not that. So if you want that fast pace, if you want to be able to juggle a lot of different things, you want a bunch of ad hoc things that you may have to do. If you don't want your day to be the same every day, this is the place for you. If not, that's fine. I totally understand that. Maybe this is not the place yeah. uh, for you. We're going to link to the episode on job descriptions just so people have a full idea of what they're walking into when they come to Baylor. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So when you miss on somebody, because we all do. Yeah. What typically happened? I wasn't as clear on the expectations. And I don't think people really understand how crazy or how hectic this environment can be. So again, dealing with 37 different academic departments and units, dealing with the pressure of the external environment, being in the medical center and all the pressures that, that come with that competition. Uh, some people just aren't ready for it. So it's, in a certain sense, it's, it's hard to actually prepare for 
But also whenever those things don't happen the way that I would like, I put it on myself that I didn't explain the role or explain what they were going to be doing in a clear and concise way. Yeah, I love that. All right, man, I want to ask you, typically we've been asking people what's a day in the life. And when you're talking to C-level and VP level, it's meeting. So I'm going to ask it a little bit differently. Sure. What if you've had a successful day or a successful week? Yep. What happened? Like, how do you define you got home at the end of the day? That was a good day. What was that day like? What happened? I would say, first thing I would say is, and this one of my executive coaches taught me this a long time ago. She said, no matter what, you need to write down two to three things that you're going to accomplish today. Mm. So you could have 15 meetings. You could have one meeting. Doesn't matter. Write down the two to three things that you want to accomplish today. And you're not done, right? You can't hang it up until you have those two to three things done. So that's what I try to do almost on a daily basis. But for me, a successful day is actually, it's weird that I say this. It Meetings, whether it's a board meeting or maybe even some internal meetings, are mundane and boring. And what I mean by that, if I have a finance committee right, with the board of trustees, I want that meeting to be boring. I want it to go as smooth as possible. There's no surprises. There's no issues. And there's no crazy questions or concerns because I've done the work to either prepare them for the craziness that I'm going to say, or I've managed it. And so there is no craziness to talk about in that meeting. I love that. So like the offensive line in football, right? We don't don't hear from them. Everything went well. There you go, right? If there's no flags, there's no holding, there's no- Quarterbacks getting hit, then you're good. good. Yeah, so I want, if I have meetings that are really just mundane, everybody knows what what they're supposed to do. They're checking off the boxes, right? The agenda's clear, right? We're just talking through these things and we're just knocking out point by point. That's a fantastic day for me. And I want those meetings to be as boring as possible. No fires. I love that. So what are you working on right now that you're really excited about? Anything come to mind when I ask you that? Yeah, there's always exciting things. We're preparing for our budget season coming up. So we have a fiscal year in June 30th. And so we start our budgeting season now. So we're getting prepared for that. We're also getting prepared to really look at the landscape of the Texas Medical Center. So Baylor College of Medicine, we're one of the first tenants in the new Texas Medical Center. So they're actually calling it, it's called Helix, or formerly known as TMC3, Texas Medical Center 3. We actually just signed a lease with one of the developers of the buildings and that new Helix Park or Texas Medical Center. So really just kind of gearing up for that, getting our ducks in a row in terms of cash flows, making sure that we can build out the space, that we got the right programming and people to put in the space, getting the signage up, all those things. So we're going to be one of the first tenants in one of the, I would say, revelations in the city of Houston in the past few years. So we're very excited about that. Very excited about the opportunity there. It's one of those things where he looks like the uh, the pictures of it. You'll be able to see it from space. Oh, that's the way that they've designed it. Like a DNA strand. Yeah, like a DNA strand. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to have anywhere from research types of buildings, which is what we do. There's obviously going to be healthcare related buildings. But it's all going to be centered around this waterway and walkway that looks like a DNA strand. Now, there's going to be retail and hotels and things like that as well. Uh, But it's going to be a very exciting property. So I'm very excited about that. And I think our CEO and everybody at Baylor is very excited to be one of the first tenants in that whole campus. See, now that is exciting. I got to say, you weren't doing much for the stereotype on finance professionals when you said, what are you juiced about? You said budgeting. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. 
All right, before we wrap up, a couple of things. I want to ask, what are you passionate about outside of work? When you're not at Baylor, what are you doing? What are you excited about? What gets you juiced? What gets me juiced is, so I got a five-year-old son. I got three kids. I got two older stepkids, 26, 21, and now five. So, oh, big, boy. big gap. Yeah, yeah. So very excited to always just spend time with him. He actually has his first T-ball practice tomorrow. Oh, wow. Uh, so I don't know how he's going to do. He doesn't want to practice with dad. So who knows what he's going to do tomorrow. So it'll be exciting. To Let see. me give you a bit of advice. Don't be yelling from the stands what to do. <laughs> that, right? I've seen those dads. I sit next to those dads. Don't be that dad. I want, yeah, I, I'm going to have to refrain, man. I'm going to have to refrain because <laughs> I get passionate about sports. But that's so to answer your question, right, the other one is sports. I like to work out quite a bit and stay in good shape. I played tennis and basketball in high school, so I love to just be active. So outside of spending time with my wife and my little one and my step stepkids and family, it's really sports related. So I watch a lot of basketball, football. I'm going to ask you right now. I'm going to step in right here. Outside yep. of your son's t-ball team, you get yep. one of your teams gets a championship. Who's it going to be? Who are you picking? 49ers. 49 they just lost in the game but yeah that's uh, i've been a fan since man late 80s okay you uh, and i are a similar age so you're thinking about joe montana you're thinking about steve young you're thinking steve jerry young. rice yeah that time the gold that's, standard no pun intended yeah, exactly no that's exactly it man so hopefully the 49ers can pull it off hold uh, on now i gotta ask you this isn't a sports yeah. podcast but i ask what was it like going through that game a week ago when that when the quarterback gets injured so early, you're yeah. so hyped up, and that just had to be so deflating. Deflating. That's a great way to say it, man. I, I knew it was going to be a challenge, even if we didn't have the quarterback situation. Philly's a good team. They've been the best team all year, so I give them credit. So I knew it was going to be an uphill battle to begin with, but once you start digging into your four-string quarterback, it's like... Yeah. What are you going to do? I was just, picking you it guys. It wasn't meant to be at that point. I got to right? say this, though. Your defensive coordinator going to Houston, D'Amico Ryans, that guy's going to be that. He's that guy. Oh, I was excited. I'm very excited about him. And interestingly, I used to go to church with his wife. And so I've been following They're him. They're from Houston, right? That's why he came back. Yeah. Being with the 49ers. Yeah, I'm excited about D'Amico. I think it'll be, he'll be a great into uh, the Texans, which they've struggled for. Sure, they need it. But he's got, a, it sounds like yeah. he's got everything from a leadership. Yeah, and a it's almost like he can't get any worse. Hopefully uh, we didn't just turn off everybody in Houston with that comment. I think exactly. you're good though. If we were going to amplify one bit of career advice to wrap up, yep. anybody starting in their career, yep. what would you say? I would say, again, everything matters. And I will say relationships matter. So the one thing that I've learned quite a bit in my career is it's all about the people connecting with people, right? Whether they work for you, with you, whether you work for someone else, right, is building those relationships because I think they they really matter. Technical skills are good, and to a certain extent, you got to have certain technical skills depending upon the job that, or the career that you want to build. Uh, but to me, it's all about building relationships and making sure that people understand your philosophy, your work ethic, right? And I think you can go wherever you want to go after that. I appreciate that, man. That's really good advice. Jamie, thanks for spending a little bit of time. Man, I know you're busy. I appreciate it. Really looking forward to this episode. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, man. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.